0: Let's just pray a moment, Uh, let's just pray a moment to start. Dear Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you for each other. We thank you that you are with us. Speak to us tonight, we ask in your wonderful name. Amen. Well, it's great to be here this evening and uh, it's such a wonderful atmosphere. Just, you know, it's quite an intimate sense, isn't it? I really, I think it's a lovely feeling tonight of, of worship and being together. Although, you know, we aren't a huge number. And it's a real privilege to be here tonight to to, to share. My name is Peter. Um, I'm one of the uh, licensed lay ministers or readers in the church, and um, yeah. Anyway, so I'm 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 on the rota for tonight, and uh, the passage was there. This one short verse was the verse that uh, is on the on the newsletter. I'm going to share a little bit broader on on, on that passage that we read tonight, um, and and. Uh, I think, rather than just that one verse, to put it in the context, and to start off with, I'm going to start with a story, um, and it relates to the time that um, I talked about privilege, but that uh, Joe and I were privileged to live and serve in Central Asia. We had an amazing time working there amongst the Kyrgyz people, and I went as an English teacher, um, and God opened the door to be involved in discipleship and theological education, and. I went first in 1998 to a small... I went to the capital city, but while I was there, I went there... Uh, I, I was there to really immerse myself in the culture. I decided to, to learn Kyrgyz, the Kyrgyz language, because the whole of the former Soviet Union, Russian is often a language spoken, but the language of the heart, the local language, is the Kyrgyz language. It's just next to Kazakhstan. It's been in the news quite a lot recently. Um, and as part of that, um, I wanted to go to really immerse myself in the culture. So I went to this town, quite high up in the mountains, for a month. It was in December, 98. And um, basically stayed with the Christian family there. And um, it was very cold. And uh, you know I had this experience in the, in the uh, every night, they would stoke up the, uh, the fire. They had the, um, uh, the, the kitchen range. They stoked it up with coal and they would sleep on mattresses around the, the fire in the kitchen, the small kitchen. And um, it, was, it was amazing because in the morning, I remember going to the corridor, and in the corridor there was this milk churn. They used to go and collect the milk from the standing pipe, the, not the milk, the water from the standing pipe in the street, bring it into the house, and, and there was this milk churn in the corridor, and I thought, I'll brush my teeth, open the lid of the milk churn there was, which had been water. It was solid ice inside the house. It was really cold there. They were rough, tough, hardy people, and they were an amazing family I stayed with. I learned so much there. And there was one church in the town, and I got to know the the pastor, Um, and it was a very vibrant church, but it was a very young church, And, and, you know, the guys, there were a lot of men there. They used to do kind of wrestling after the service. You normally have tea and coffee, but they would kind of do wrestling outside. I kind of didn't involve myself too much in that section, but they were really, you know, tough guys, and and it was was a great atmosphere they had there. And um, I got to know the pastor a bit, and I said to him, look, how on earth did this church begin? You know, what's the background to it? And he told me that actually, originally, there had been no Christian church in that town. And of all the districts in the country, that was the only town where there was no church. There had been no Russian population, because if, if uh, you know, any, any, com- any place where there'd been Russians, often there'd be a Russian Orthodox church. There was no Russian Orthodox church. There were just mosques, and it was a place where the church had, where the gospel had made no impact whatsoever. But very interestingly, the people identified very strongly as Muslims. And they may not go to pray, pray there, but there was a very strong identification with Islam. And the local government was very hostile to any Christian activity as well. And I remember going there, I had to go with this pastor, took me to this office, I had to get a stamp in my passport or something, you know, in this special document to say I had permission to stay in the town for a month, you know. It was all controlled, you know. And, um, I said to him, what happened then? Because this was so tough. And he said, you know what happened? There was one person who came to this town, and his name was Andre, and he was a German, a Russified German. And, uh, you know, there were local Germans who, many of them had emigrated today to to Germany, but they are originally in that part of the world. And he was a Baptist, and he went there to reach out to the people. And, you know, he tried some various methods, you know, a bit of preaching and maybe giving out tracts or making friends. Everyone gave him a cold shoulder. They were not interested. They were anti. They were against him. He was actually a, an electrician, so he did have a kind of tent-making trade that he could use. Um, and, and But one day, he, he went to the, um, the, the public toilets, actually. He took a bucket. He took a broom. He took a, maybe a big bottle of disinfectant. And he just, you know, any public toilets were not really sites you would want to be, behold. They were fairly horrendous, pit latrine, just dreadful. So he just spent the day just cleaning this place out completely. And, and some of the locals said, What is that guy doing? He's just like and a complete nutcase, you know, crazy, that crazy German bloke, what's he doing? Um, but then the next week he, he did the same. He took his bucket and he just, you know, shovel and just tied it, and it was like spotless afterwards. And that guy, he's done it again in that case. And again he went back the next week and he just did the same. And and one of the men watching thought, what is it about this man? There's something. I've got to find out what is it that has made this man do this crazy thing? Because actually, what he's done is no one's ever done that before, you know. And, you know, basically this one man he said, Look, what what is it? You know, what are you doing? And I said, Look. You want, to, you want to find out? Let's have, let's have some tea, let's have a chat. So they had a conversation and normally we would drink lashings of tea and, and stuff and, and he said, well, actually, the reason I'm doing it is because I've got something, I, I know someone who's so precious and, and, and that person is uh, the leader in my life and that person is a servant. What are we talking about? And he began to tell the gospel, to talk about Christ, to talk about Jesus. And talk, talk about a model of leadership was, was so countercultural in, in that context, and as we know, is actually countercultural in our world today, isn't it? This servant leadership. And um, you know, he would have opened up the word of God. Now I don't know exactly which uh, I never met Andre, this man himself. He's in Germany today, I believe, but he may have read from Isaiah 42. In Isaiah 42, it says, Here is my servant who I am uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not cry, shout, or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on the earth. And you know... What happened as a result of that man's action was a church. It was the spark to begin a church. And this one man, you know, tough guy, he witnessed and drew other people in, families coming in. And from that church, many other churches were started. And even today, some of the Christians from that church are, are, are leaders in Kyrgyzstan today. We still have contact with one, of, one brother there, wonderful man, a former Muslim who's just loves to witness about Jesus, and has got such a wonderful heart. And, you know, this, when we look at today's passage, I'm kind of, I was thinking, you know, I wanted to sort of see how to to, to get into this. I just felt this story about Andre was one that linked in here, because... What we're looking at is an early church here in in, in the book of Galatians, this this church which Paul had had established, we can read about it in the book of Acts in chapter 13 and 14. And the context is this, that, um, you you know, I'm probably teaching grandmother to suck eggs, you may know this very well, but basically um, this church church actually uh, was in Galatia, which is modern-day Turkey, and uh, Paul had visited there. He'd, he'd witnessed. He'd actually experienced massive persecution. He'd been stoned. He managed to escape. But this church was established, it started really well. But then some false teaching began to come in, because the Jewish people, the Jewish Christians, um, some of them were saying that the non-Jews should actually revert to some of the Jewish legal practices that uh, the Jewish, the Jews were, you know, traditionally practising. And, you know, all the rules and regulations of Judaism, and particularly in the Old Testament rule. And one of those practices was a practice of that men should be circumcised. And so some of the church were telling new converts that they had to also be circumcised, and Paul was against this, because this is like two layers. This is like one group of people saying, you know, you've got to be better, you've got to follow this law, to be, to be you know, the, the, the very best, you've got to follow this rule, otherwise somehow you're going to be down there. It's this idea of kind of different levels that you had to follow these laws, these rules, to be better than other people. And Paul used very hard words. I mean, in chapter three, remember, he said, you foolish Galatians. Um, and uh, I, I was reading uh, Proverbs recently, it says, Um, The lips of the righteous nourish many, but fools die for lack of judgment. Isn't the book of Proverbs such a tough book, and it's a brilliant book? Um, But Paul seems to be echoing this idea about having good judgment. And um, this really comes to the, the, the first, the themes, which is the title really in the NIV, which is life by the Spirit and living by the Spirit. And so I just wanted to look a little bit at this, the context there from verse 16. Because it says here, Paul says, so I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Uh, you know, when we accept Christ in our life, you know, it, it, it's looking at this transformation that takes place. Um, for the sinful nature desires what's contrary to the Spirit, um, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other, so that you do not do what you want, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. So, you know, when we accept Christ in our life, we turn, and, but the conflict is there, and, and there's, there's this, this conflict between what our sinful nature desires and the Spirit of God. And, you know, Paul then goes on with this quite, quite sort of rich and heavy list of um, sinful um, activities. Um, and, and, you know, he goes through that, you know, the, the immorality, idolatry, rage, etc. Um, but then he goes on to say, but the fruit of the Spirit is living by the spirit that we'll get the fruit of the spirit and I'm sure all of you can remember the fruit of the spirit here off by heart. I'm trying to remember it myself. But love, joy, peace, patience. I'm having to give good kindness goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Isn't that wonderful? What was that again? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And this world we live in, these fruits don't come immediately, do they? There has to be a planting and a watering and nurturing and a pruning, and then the fruit. But those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature, it goes on to tell us in verse 24. And this reminds me, as I'm standing here, on the baptistry. Isn't that a symbol of baptism? That actually we think about what Christ, you know, that's crucified, the sinful nature, going down into the water. And we die to our old life. We rise to our new life as Christians. And, and if you haven't been baptized, I recommend. It's a wonderful, wonderful experience to have baptism. And we, you know, it's just a wonderful encouragement to us all. And if you haven't, uh, haven't accepted Christ in your heart, then please talk to one of us today if you're interested. So we identify with this, don't we, the death and resurrection of Jesus... And, of course, we are all a work in progress as we seek to live as Christians, and and we're imperfect. We live by faith, not knowing the tight legal system that Paul speaks about, um, which was faith-driven. And it links back to one of the verses which just refer to Galatians 2.20, which tells us this. I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. And here, this identification with Jesus. The punishment of sin is death, but we have faith in Jesus who died on the cross for us, and we are promised eternal life. And so, anyway, Paul goes on to tell us in verse 25, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. And that's one of the key little themes, keeping in step with the Spirit for this talk tonight. Keeping in step with the Spirit. You know, Friday, we talked about... um, Anthony was talking about the Friday before last with this wonderful prayer meeting, wonderful prayer time, the Unite Prayer Weekend. And, yes, we were praying for these things, for wisdom, discernment, and unity in seeking the new vicar for the church and and praying for the Holy Spirit to come and still our hearts, to guide us, to guide all involved in this decision-making process, that it will be the Spirit who's leading. And... um, we believe the Spirit leads us. Someone described it like a farmer herding cattle. I don't know if you've ever seen a, one friend who used to be a, a, dairy, he's a dairy man. I remember going to, to see him one day early in the morning and, and just would open the gates and all the dairy cows, there were jerseys, they're beautiful cows actually, they would just see the gate open and they would just be led by him at the gate and they would go to the milking parlour. Um, so another picture is of, of a shepherd might lead the sheep from the front. or Also, uh, I mean, I've got this old sailing dinghy Parked out by the our front door. I love, love sailing. And this picture draws to me, the picture speaks to me. A ship being driven by the wind. The Holy Spirit is like a, a a wind, isn't it? And we can we can read about that, you know, the Holy Spirit being like a, a wind, as it tells us in, in in John chapter three, Nicodemus goes to see Uh, Jesus, and the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. You don't know where the Spirit is going. So the Spirit is the one we pray to. And we can see our motivation in Christ. We have the Holy Spirit in our hearts. We yield to him. He will lead us if we listen and follow where he's leading. But as I mentioned in verse 25, it reminds us to keep in step with the Spirit. One writer put it like this. It's the Spirit who does the leading and we who do the walking. Not only on our knees, but also on our feet. We actually have to walk, don't we? We actually don't, we're not, not stationary, we can wait. And and how do we do this? And, and just two comments on this. How can we keep in step with the Spirit? The first one is is one we all know. Relationship is so critical, isn't it? Our relationship with God, with Christ, with the Holy Spirit. But then our relationship with each other. Our relationship in the church. However that you know, however, however we relate to each other, that's so, so critical. And even Christ, the way he sees our life, there are those others he wants to draw into the church, so our relationships with those who are not yet in the church. He doesn't want us to neglect those relationships. But being in relationship is so essential. And um, this, is, this is really, and you think about this German missionary, Andre, you know, he was so closely enmeshed with the local people there. And he wasn't, full of the last verse, the picture there about provoking, envying, conceiting. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. Um, cleaning toilets doesn't bring with it the picture of pride or conceit, does it? It's, it's loving relationship, and that relationship can be costly. Um, let us not become conceited, what does conceited mean? Vain, self-loving, boastful, arrogant, aloof, self-satisfied, having a high opinion of ourselves, puffed off, self-righteous, stuck up. Um, this example of service, of, of Andre, so strongly can with other models of leadership across the world, as I've already said. But we are journeying together in union with God, with Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and also one, another in the body. If one of us falls, if one of us fails, in our journey with him, we can draw alongside them. We, we can phone them, invite them out for tea, look out for them, do their shopping, whatever it is that God is calling us to do. And um, not provoking and envying one another. So this confronts that idea of competition, challenging others, ideas of inferiority and superiority. Uh, in Luke twenty two twenty four, 24, there was a dispute um, and the disciples were arguing which one was the greatest and what was Jesus' response? His response was, the greatest among you should be like the youngest. And this was, again, countercultural uh, In Israel-Palestinian culture, the older you were, the older you are today, the more status you have. The younger should remain silent. Um, and this is, you know, the model of Christ all in relationship. So when we see a brother or sister excelling, what, what do we do? The temptation may be to envy. Um, we might become jealous. And, um, you know, another approach is to thank God for them and to pray for them, to flourish in their gifts, but also give thanks that what God has given us, give thanks for what God has given us or is going to give us, um, and our own giftings. And sometimes this is a challenge to avoid. You know, it can be so costly. It can be jealousy it can be such a costly emotion. People, I, you know, I can think of myself, you know, in my life sometimes, waking up at night worrying it, you know what rubbish you know what absolute waste of emotional energy and we we can leave that aside and pray god bless that person thank you for their gifts I thank you lord you gifted me and you are gifting me with new things each of us is unique god has a plan for everyone in this room he wants to grow your giftings he wants to use you for his kingdom purposes and of course when we the ultimate example, when we, we're tempted to feel like this in situations, maybe it's a work scenario, where whatever it is, and you know everywhere the models are there, aren't they, for competition? But it's, it's to look back at the foot washer. Who was the foot washer? Who was it who washed the feet? And even though Peter did not want Jesus to wash his feet, Jesus said, I, I have to wash your feet. So keeping in step with the Spirit... This idea about relationship was the first theme and the first point. And the second point was this one, my second and final point. Obedience. We should seek to be obedient as we grow. As we seek to live by the Spirit and be led by the Spirit. And sometimes, you know, spiritual growth should be our aim, shouldn't it? You know, there's that song, um, you know, if we don't grow, we shrink. You know, read your Bible, pray every day, and you grow, grow, grow. uh, If you neglect your Bible, forget to pray, and you shrink, shrink, shrink. <laughs> okay, but, you know, it's seriously, there, you know, that idea about spiritual growth that we need to continue to grow. And the book of Proverbs, again, says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Among the challenging words of Proverbs, another tough word I want to share is Proverbs 12, 1. He who ever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates correction is stupid. That's in the Bible. He who hates correction is stupid. That is a powerful word, isn't it? And it just spoke to me, and I just was reflecting back at times. I thought, actually, I, I really didn't like that scenario in a work context, someone really, but what they said was right. That was right, what they said. And actually, from taking that on board, I've been able to grow other areas I still need to. And I suspect I'm not alone in finding this verse uncomfortable, but it's true. Discipline um, can be from God, a godly discipline. We need to be obedient to godly discipline, to God's correction. I don't know if that speaks to you today. You might think that doesn't relate to me at all, but that was a word that I really felt the Lord put in my heart for tonight, obedience, the need for obedience. So to wrap up in following a Jesus, we must avoid becoming conceited, provoking, envying. Uh, we might think, does that bl- speak to me? Um, but we need to take care, because God wants us to grow, and sometimes we may need correction. Uh, God has been merciful. He who was without sin took our place on the cross. He is Christ. He is our Savior. He's our Lord. He's the friend of sinners, the servant king, the washer of his disciples' feet. So Andre, the German missionary to the Kyrgyz people, wasn't an electrician, but his gift of service, even the most basic, was perhaps the most striking cleaning the local conveniences. So keeping in step with the Spirit, walking with the Spirit's leading, in relationship with God and with each other, and seeking to be obedient so we can grow in our Christian lives, not in fame and name, but even when it hurts. God is wanting to bless the church, God's church and the world, God's world, even through the likes of us. Amen.